Okay, before we get going, there are two, two things you need to know. First thing you need to know is, if you were here because you saw Shane Claiborne advertising that he was going to be here at the 3pm, he is already on his plane. Um, but the good news is, is it's God's message of justice, not mine. Um, so I'm here for Shane. I'm, I'm not Shane. But if you're here because you think you're expecting Shane, I apologise in advance. The second thing you need to know is that yesterday morning when I sat down to start my um, ride, I had some thoughts about what I was going to say already, but when I sat down to work on my sermon for today, I poured an entire cup of iced coffee all over my laptop, which has made its way to laptop heaven. So I have written my notes old school. So this is either going to go really well or um, it's going to be interesting, which is it's going to be great. But the third thing you need to know is that when I was in my early 20s, I was at a um, work event. Um, it was, I was working for a church and we had a, a training day doing some personality testing. And I was having a one-to-one with a coach who had um, been delivering the day of training. And we were chatting about my future, what I felt I might be called into. And I was talking about a heart for passion, um, a passion for justice and social action. And he turned to me at one point and he said, um, you're clearly really passionate about social action and justice, but you're going to need to figure out what you're actually called to, because otherwise you're just an angry person shouting a lot. Which at the time felt a little on the nose and a little harsh, but actually led me onto a journey of thinking and praying and studying and reading about what does it mean to actually be somebody who's passionate about justice, to actually reflect God's heart for justice. And we're in this sermon series, The Beauty of the Gospel, and today we're looking at the theme of justice. And that word is going to produce different responses in different ones of us. For some of us, maybe like me, it just provokes this sense of kind of confused anger. Or maybe you feel a little guilty. You think, I know I'm supposed to do something, I'm just not, I'm just not really doing, not sure, I know there should be more. Or maybe you just feel uncertain. What does it actually mean? What is justice? What does biblical justice mean? What is it actually all about? And after what this guy had said to me, I went on this journey of thinking, what does the Bible have to say about justice? What does the Old Testament have to say about justice? What does the New Testament say? What does Jesus say And today we're going to do a little bit of a dive into what it might be that God might be saying to us today here at KXE in 2023 about the beautiful truth of the gospel, this truth of justice. And the first thing um, that it starts with for me is these verses out of the book of Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah chapter 9 and it says, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of the strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts, boasts about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight. I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight. Or later on in Jeremiah, this is from a bit in the book of Jeremiah where God is talking about different kings. He's talking about some of the bad kings that they've had and he's talking about what it means to be a good king. And he says this, Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? Did not your father have food and drink? He did what was right and just, so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, so all went well with 
all, so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me? Is that not what it means to know me, to defend the cause of the poor and needy, to do what is right and just? There's something extricably, sort of intrinsically tied up together, linked in, in following God and doing what is right and just. And there's like a dichotomy that's set up. On the one hand, there are these kings, these people who, who act in injustice. They oppress and exploit. And on the other side, there are these kings that God is talking about here who defend the cause of the poor and needy. There is an invitation to, to follow God, to know who God is, to reflect his character. Gary Hagen, who founded um, the International Justice Mission, um, said this, the sin of injustice is defined in the Bible as the abuse of power. Abusing power by taking from others the good things that God intended for them. Taking from them their life, their freedom, their dignity, the fruits of their labour. And we see this all over the Old Testament. People acting out of selfish ambition, out of greed and idolatry, even just out of evil. And God judges that behaviour he calls for a higher standard of living. We see Cain and Abel or Noah and the flood or throughout the stories of Abraham and Jacob and Joseph. There is this, this continual message of there is sin and there are consequences for sin and there is a higher standard that God is calling people to. And we reach a point in the Old Testament, we reach the book of Exodus, when God calls Moses to free the Israelite people from captivity, from the slavery under Egypt. And we see this moment when God reaches down to Moses and he calls him at the burning bush. And he says to Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So go, I'm sending you to bring my people, the Israelites, out. There's this sense of God being really serious about justice about being really serious, about expressing, about responding to the cry of those who are oppressed. And we see this beginning of a holy community, this beginning of a community that is set apart, governed by God's laws to be a light to the Gentiles. God says, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Though the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This was the call on the people of God, to be this holy nation, to be set apart, to be radical in their love for each other, in their care for each other, defined by these commands to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and to love your neighbour as yourself. A community that was built on the radical care of, of each other, of foreigners, of the poor, of the needy, of the vulnerable, of the widow, of the orphan. It was built upon justice and righteousness. Now, if you've been around KXC for any length of time, you'll know that Pete loves a diagram. 
Now, John Carter has recently upped his diagram game. So I've made a diagram, which is admittedly just a bunch of arrows. But anyway, this, this diagram um, portrays the journey of the covenant of the people of Israel. And so we start with this point where, where God creates this holy people. It's a covenant, it's a two-way promise between God coming down and man going up. They're meeting together, this two-way promise, this covenant relationship. But then the Israelites go wayward. They turn away from God. They go their own direction. But God is faithful. So he continues to pursue the Israelites. He sends prophets. He tells them, this isn't right. Follow me. There's a better way of living, a better standard, a, a higher calling. And so the, and the Israelites hear this call. They hear this. They respond. They repent. They return. And the covenant is restored. And we see this journey on a kind of almost like a cyclical fashion throughout the Old Testament. It happens over and over again. The people, the covenant is damaged by the people's sin and going in the wrong direction. And then they are called back to God. And this moment of time when God is sending the prophets, what God is saying to his people is he is he's weeping over his people. He's, he's calling out of them a better way of living. He's calling out of them the way that they were designed to live as a community of faith, a community of right relationship with each other and with God. And some of the things he says to them in this time, this is from Isaiah 58. This is a moment in time, exactly like that diagram. The Israelites, they've been in exile and now they've come back. They've repented, they've restored. This is written in the time of the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. And they've returned to the Lord. They're back. They're back in relationship with God. But God says to them, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Or this one in Amos, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. In other words, God is saying, you've come back, that's great. And God's faithfulness has continued to pursue his people even as they run away from him. But then God says, but, but it doesn't stop there. That's not enough. Your religious songs, your, your burnt offerings, your festivals are not enough if it stays just there. I'm asking for something more. I'm, I'm requiring something more of you. He has shown you, O oh mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. We're just going to come out for a moment in, in that verse, this idea of what it means to act justly, to love mercy. And there's a little bit of, of um, vocabulary I want to do, do with us. I'm going to introduce you to two Hebrew words. Um, the first one is the word misfat. This is a word that is often translated in the Old Testament as justice. 
Um, and it means to, to treat people equitably. It's a kind of sense of, of treating others equally, of a, of a fair fairness. It's also known as rectifying justice. So it's, it's about punishing wrongdoers. It's about caring for victims of unjustness. It's a kind of justice that we might think about when we think about justice. But the other word that's used a lot in the Old, Old um, Testament is sedeca. And this is um, also known as primary justice. And this is about living a life of right relationship with God and with others. And the thing about primary justice is if you have primary justice, it renders rectifying justice unnecessary. You don't have any punishment, any wrongdoers to punish. You don't have any victims to care for because everyone is living in right relationship. This is often translated in our Bible as righteousness, but it's actually justice that is right. It would be better translated as social justice, a justice that is about how we relate to other people and to God. And so if you retranslated Micah 6.8, what you'd really be saying is, what does God ask of you? What does it mean to walk with God? It means that we do justice out of merciful love. Because God is really clear in the Old Testament. There isn't really any doubt about what God thinks about justice. It is an imperative. It's not an optional extra. Gary Hogan um, put it like this. God gives us strikingly clear teaching about the struggle for justice in Scripture. In my experience, there is more than enough clarity in the Bible about how I am to respond to those who are suffering from abuse and oppression. Indeed, when it comes to biblical teaching on justice, the problem for me is not ambiguity. Rather, the challenge is the Bible's bracing clarity. When it comes to injustice, God's position is straightforward. God hates it and wants it to stop. That's what the Bible teaches. There's this sense of total clarity. And what we are being called into, what the people of God were called into, is more than just the, the um, mishpat of justice. It's more than just punishing wrongdoers. It's more than just caring for victims, serving people in crisis. It's about a primary justice, a sedeca justice, a justice that is living in re right relationship with each other, with our communities. It's, it's calling others into that right relationship. So we, you'll have heard, if you've been around the last few weeks, that we're doing a Make Lunch in the summer, which this is about providing some uh, meals at lunchtime for kids who would normally get a free school meal um, during term time and to go hungry during the school holidays. And it is, it's brilliant. It's an amazing thing. It's, it's quite simple. It's a, it's a little meal. And, it, and it's brilliant. It's serving a, a crisis need. But 38% of children who live in Islington live in poverty, 38% of children that are on our doorstep need this kind of service. And it's brilliant that we're doing it. And the response has been phenomenal. It's been really encouraging to see so many KXEs jump on board and say, I want to help, I want to, I want to serve that. But we shouldn't be living in a community that has 38% of children living in poverty. The Sedeca justice that God is calling us to is, is more than just can you serve a meal. It's will you get behind changing the society? Will you get behind a right relationship that, that we live in with each other, that we live in with our neighbours, with our borough, with the people on the streets around us? Israel was called to be a community that was built on right relationship. 
And Jesus took that same idea. He took some of those very same passages and he called the people who followed him into that same sort of community. So famously in Luke chapter 4, the, one of the first public things that Jesus says is he quotes from Isaiah 61. Note the chapters. Isaiah 58, just read Isaiah 58. All about true fasting. What does it really mean? And then we get Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance for our, of our God. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people that the Lord has blessed. All throughout the, the teachings of Jesus, he is calling people to a higher way, to a relationship, a community that is built upon that Sedeca justice. So the Sermon on the Mount, it's a vision for a community of, an, of a new covenant that is an even higher standard of justice and righteousness. The New Testament isn't soft on justice. It's not, it's not a cheap grace. It's actually all about a call to higher holiness. It's all still about this horizontal relationship between us and God and vertical relationship between us and others. And we live in that tension of grace and justice, but they're not mutually exclusive. Forgiveness doesn't negate consequences. Grace doesn't undermine justice. The cross, the real beauty of the gospel, that we are not held to account for our sin. Jesus paid it all, but that it doesn't stop there. That there is something else that we are called to. So Peter goes back to that passage from Exodus and says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We become the bearers of that justice, just like the Israelites were called to be a holy people set apart, demonstrating what it means to live in right relationship with each other and with God, so we are as well. This, some of you would have seen this picture before. This is a, is a picture of me taken... Um, I think more than a decade ago now, in Guatemala. And I've, and I've talked about it a little bit before. It's, a, it's a, me and a little girl called Hanai. Um, we're on a, a day of joy in um, Guatemala City. I was doing some work with the International Justice Mission. Um, and this was a day celebrating these, these girls who had been through horrendous cases of sexual violence. And they'd finished their prosecution um, and given all the evidence. And then were given a day of celebration and joy. And that's what this is. And I've talked about it before. I've talked about that, how we bonded over my monkey impressions, we've, how the fun we had together and how it, for me, it's an image of, of the kingdom of God breaking in. But I want to tell you what is behind this picture. Because when, in, in 2005, when IGM first went to Guatemala, Guatemala City, one in four adolescent girls were a victim of sexual violence. One in four children and young teenage girls were a victim of sexual violence. They went to these red zones. Normally a red zone denotes an area of a country where there's been a natural disaster and it's so dangerous that you can't go in um, you know, right immediate after an earthquake or something like that. And they're, they're known as red zones. And they had these red zones in Guatemala City, not for natural disasters, but because the violence was so extreme that nobody could go in. 
And in 2005, when, they, when IGM first began to explore going in, global human rights experts said to them, the system is broken. There is nothing you can do. This is an impossible mission. You should just leave. By 2015, RGM had helped produce new laws that defined what sexual violence was. Prior to that point, it wasn't even illegal, this sexual violence. They'd helped create a dedicated sex crimes unit with the local police forces. They'd worked on child protection, helping children to give evidence in those cases. And in that first decade, those first 10 years, they rescued more than 280 children and they convicted nearly 250 people for sexual violence. They changed a system. It's a beautiful moment for me in my life of having fun with this little girl. But behind that is a whole system that is being changed, a whole transformation, a whole sedeca that is being created out of ashes. I went to see A Little Life on Friday night. Um, if you know it, I'm not going to talk about it at all. Um, and in all good consciousness, I cannot recommend it. Um, <laughs> it's really bleak. It's really gross. It's really grotesque. It is a phenomenal piece of art. But it is a story about bleakness. It's a story about despair and hopelessness. And there is no redemption in it. There is no good news. There is no moment of reconciliation and healing. There is only despair. There is only bleakness. And I walked away from thinking, is this what the world really believes is, is reality? Is this what people think? Because we sit here and we go, no, there is something else. There, there is hope. There is a, a trajectory of redemption. God is making all things new. We have this, we kind of have this hope that we, we dangle out sometimes. And then there's this version of life that we see in things like a little life that is only bleak and dark. Martin Luther King Jr. said, the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Sometimes it's a really slow bend, but the bend of the universe is towards justice. And I think it goes even further than that, because I think the moral arc of justice bends towards redemption. That there is something more. There is something more than that mishpat justice that punishes wrongdoers and, and cares for victims of injustice, good as that is. There is something more. There is a Sedeca call on us as a community, as individuals and as a church to be more, to follow that higher calling that Jesus has given us, to say there really is hope. We're called to be a people of compassion. And compassion, that really means to suffer with not to stand on the outside, not to look from a distance and judge, but to suffer with. Henry Nguyen said, compassion asks us to go where it hurts, to enter into the places of pain, to share in brokenness, fear, confusion and anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry out with those in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely to weep with those in tears. Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable, and powerless with the powerless. Compassion means full immersion in the condition of being human. 
Compassion requires us not to stand on the outside and look in. It requires us to get messy, to go into those places that hurt, to stand with those people who mourn, to weep with those who are in tears, to be vulnerable, to give up our power for the powerless, to be willing to be vulnerable for those who are vulnerable. It's not an easy or straightforward call, but it is something that God has put on all of us to be a royal priesthood, a chosen nation, shining a light for the world, showing that even in the bleakest of stories, in a theatre filled with pain and despair, there is still hope. Um, St. Basil, interestingly, the um, saint that one of our church plants in Devon is named after. St. Basil is known as the father of the Holy Spirit. He was the, the church father who first wrote on, on who the Holy Spirit is and what it means um, to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He's sort of the expert, the first expert from the fourth century on the Holy Spirit. But he's also the father of social action. He was the first um, church father to put down on paper, put down in words, what does it really mean to be, to be a Christian who follows God, to follow a God of, of justice and, and care to care for the poor and vulnerable. And I love that partnership, the Holy Spirit and social action, to love and to do mercy, to do justice, to, to call out that tzedakah in the community, but to bring hope into those places. And the only way we can do it is through the Holy Spirit. You know, we can't make ourselves do something, feel something, respond in a certain way. It is the Holy Spirit at work in us that changes us. Tim Keller says, the logic is clear. If a person has grasped the meaning of God's grace in his heart, he will do justice. Grace should make you just. It is out of an overflow of God's grace in us. It is out of an encounter with his grace. It is out of a response of knowing what Jesus has done, who God is, who we are called to be, what it means to follow him. It's out of that response that we act. And sometimes it will require repentance. Sometimes we might need to get on our knees and weep to be willing to let our hearts break for things that break God, to, let, to be willing to let ourselves feel all those things that Henri Nguyen said, to feel powerless with the powerless, to feel vulnerable with the vulnerable, to repent of how we've stood on the outside and looked in. I'm going to end with this verse, Romans 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to pour out into our hearts, that through an encounter with the Holy Spirit, we might know ourselves changed. Through an encounter with the grace of Jesus, we might become a just Sedeca community of people built on righteousness, built on justice, built on love. Mm-hmm.